Good morning. Thank you for being here. Before we start looking in our Bibles to see what God says to us, just a couple of things as reminders. I said last week that we're going to start um, focusing each week on different ways that you can plug in because we want you to be parts of ministry uh, with people who share your same interest. We also want you to be able to perhaps volunteer to uh, serve in certain ways, different capacities, different ministries of our church where we have outreach, but also serving the people who are here, part of our uh, membership in our church community. Last week, this week, and next week, we're focusing on Aggies for Christ, the students as they return, because those three, three weeks are sort of the beginning of their return, as well you know, to, uh, to town and also to church. So if you are a student and you do not know about our student ministry or Aggies for Christ, and you'd like to get to know about our ministry and all the things that we do, immediately after second service, there'll be people out in the foyer wearing these blue Connect shirts, perhaps holding a clipboard, and those people are your contacts for getting the information that you seek. Also, if you're in the, uh, within my uh, voice, you're hearing me, whether you're online and you want to be a part or here this morning, we also want you to be able to be a part of our ministry as adults, some people who can serve and help us meet all the needs of our students. So you too can go out, if you're present this morning, in the foyer after second service. A couple of examples of how we need help with the older members, non-student members of our congregation is sometimes with food. When we gather in the morning, on Sunday morning for class, we typically have some sort of breakfast food items for them. And that's a semester, year, really year long, as often as we're meeting, need that has to be met. Lisa Hanna does a great job of coordinating that for us, but if you would like to help in that way, you too can go look for the clipboard people and they will help you get the information you need. Also, soon, Many of our older students know that we have what we call officially intergenerational small groups. The students typically refer to them as intergens, where for 10 weeks each semester, our students are hosted in the homes of our older uh, church members. And so that is about to start soon, but if you're interested in hosting students in your home for 10 consecutive weeks during the fall, this or the spring semester, we need you. Now, there's more information behind all of that, what happens during those group meetings and those times at your home, but that's probably not for this morning. But if that um, whets your appetite and you'd like to be a part of that, you too can check in after the foyer, um, after service, excuse me, in the foyer, and we will help you find out the information that you want about ways that you can serve the AFC. But again, students also have to be a part of the AFC. What is the most beautiful place you've ever been to? Think what place with your eyes is the most beautiful place that you've ever seen? You might even think about what circumstances took you there. Were you on vacation? Was it a business trip? Were you just driving cross-country and made a curve or topped a hill? 
Maybe it was a place that you went intentionally because you had heard that it was a beautiful place. Maybe you've got it in your head. I want to show you mine. It's partly because of my being there on a few occasions, but it's also because of a story that goes along with it. So this is uh, one small sliver of Yellowstone National Park. This is Lamar Valley. Sometimes people, because they know we've been to Yellowstone, will say, hey, Brian or Leslie, where should we go in Yellowstone, where there are a lot of obviously popular sites? I typically will say, go to the Lamar Valley, northeast quadrant, park your car, and just watch. This valley, along with another valley in Yellowstone called the Hayden Valley, is very famous, primarily not just because it's of its scenery, but because of the animal life that is just teeming there. You see all sorts of animal life in the Lamar and the Hayden and the Hayden Valley of Yellowstone National Park. So I have had this interest in wolves for quite some time. I can't really explain it. I just have. I watched with some a good bit of attention in 1995 when wolves were reintroduced to Yellowstone National Park. There obviously has been a lot of press and information regarding this reintroduction. But one of our visits when my family was coming along to be a part of this sort of trip that we had taken, this road trip, of course, to Yellowstone, they were being patient with me to go and see if I could see wolves. So we drive up to the Lamar Valley, and it's a rather long piece of, a uh, long valley, and there's a long road that goes along many different parking spots. And you can position yourself there at the parking lot and walk out to the edge of the valley and just, you know, watch and see what you can see. And it's typically easy to see elk, buffalo, etc. Well, I did this on one occasion, and then we drive up, and it is just pounds of people with these huge scopes, cannon size almost, looking out on the valley, looking for wolves. The Lamar Valley was populated at that time, this is how geeky I am about wolves, but they were populated by what was the dominant and biggest wolf pack at Yellowstone at the time. It was called the Druid Peak Pack because there was a peak near the valley called the Druid Peak. It's a pretty famous wolf pack in wolf lore, and for those who study wolves, and their impact on Yellowstone was quite large. Enough of that. I was looking for the Druid Peak Pack. So I'm out there with people, and they've got these cannon scopes, you know, on tripods, and they got the floppy hats, and they're, you know, decked out, and I don't know. They've been there. Look, they've been there for hours. I drop up, and I think I have a pair of binoculars I probably got when I was in the Boy Scouts. So I'm going out there looking, trying to see if I can see some wolves. You know, these people, this the guy next to me, he had like a, it was as long as my arm, as big as, you know, nostril looking sort of thing. You could see people's nostrils. And I've got these binoculars I'm looking. Over to my left, there's this little knoll, this little hill, and I start looking over there. I don't know what I'm looking I don't have a specific place I'm looking. I'm just, you know, scanning like everybody else is. And I look over there on that little knoll or little hill is a small little herd of elk. 
And I start watching the elk, and I say, hey, you know, he says, yeah, he looks at me, he says, oh, it's just elk, okay, just elk, okay. So I'm still watching the elk, and before long, they start sort of trotting and galloping and sort of, you know, running, actually, away from that little place they were at down further into the valley. And I thought to myself, I wonder why they're running. So I tune my, well, not tune, what'd you do? I just, not tune, but look, and there are two wolves racing down, and I saw them. And we followed them down through the river, and they came up across the road up into their den where they were staying, where they kept their pups. And this was the time of the year when they would be doing that. For me, it was a fascinating memory. Really, I was the only one super excited about it. I get that. But that is what happened when I visited the Lamar Valley. And the valley is beautiful even without seeing the wolves. It's quiet. It's peaceful. It's ringed by snow-capped mountains. The Lamar River meanders through it. It's my most beautiful spot. What's yours? Last week, we talked about light, and Jesus is the light of the world. Today, I want to talk about God and big, big lights. Before we get there, sometimes in the AFC class, on occasion, I have described our faith journey as a line or a path, a road. And on one end is where you are now. And the other end is where your life ends. And we're on this road. And we want to stay on it, persevere as Paul would say, and run on that road, run the race, until death. And we'll be found faithful, right? Well, this road is sometimes bumpy. Sometimes it's smooth. Sometimes we're running the race and we're just sprinting. Our stride is smooth and beautiful. Scenery's just passing by. We're at a good clip. Our breathing is easy. And the path seems just pleasant. There are other times on our road, aren't there, when our breathing is labored. And it's just sort of like we don't have a stride at all. We're just trying to put one foot in front of the other. And I tell the students that that's okay. Everybody's road is that way. No one sprints the whole distance. There's darkness along the path. I tell them additionally, it doesn't matter how fast I'm running. You're not racing against me. There are points when I may be running faster than you and better than you, and there's going to be points when you're passing me on and looking at me in your rearview mirror. The point isn't how fast I'm running. And the point really isn't how fast you're running. The point is, are you on the path? 
Now, there are times that we take exits off the path, right? And God in his mercy and his kindness and sometimes his discipline and correction and maybe the Holy Spirit's encouragement and compelling us, we get back on the path. But this path I'm interested in this morning because I want to talk about one way One thing, one piece of God that helps me stay on it. I said last week that there is this light and dark battle. I talked about how it's all going on in the world, but the light and dark battle also happens within. And my path when I'm off of it, or when I'm struggling on it, or when it's going through darkness, is often this flesh and spirit battle, this light and dark battle that is taking place within me. God's Word gives us some attributes and qualities of God. And we learn and know about those qualities and attributes of God by something that is mentioned repetitively in Scripture. I'm going to show you some passages this morning, and you can turn to them. They will be on the screen if you choose to read them that way, that communicate this concept and these attributes of God. The first verse is from James chapter 1. It's verse 17. We know portions of this verse very well, the first phrase particularly. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. What do you think Father of heavenly lights means? Some people say it's that God is so good and he is only light. And so wherever there is light, in any crevice, any crack, God is the father of them and light doesn't exist without him. So wherever it is, wherever light is, God is. It also means that he's the father of the heavenly lights that you see with your visible I, the sun, the moon, and the stars. You and I know, because we know our Bibles well, know multiple passages that talk to us about the power of creation and the power of the Creator. Here's one, Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sun into jars, of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be, and he commanded, and it stood firm. 
You know passages in your Bible that you may be thinking now in your head. All the passages in Job, Jeremiah, Isaiah, even the Sermon on the Mount, which doesn't only talk about the sun and the moon and the stars, but all of God's creation. And God's creation communicates so strongly some things about him that Paul uses it in Romans chapter 1 to try to communicate that people everywhere can see God. So much so that they have no excuse. That's the power of creation. In Romans chapter 1, read along with me, verse 18, and we're going to stop at 20. The wrath of God, this is his message to the Gentiles. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since their creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that all men are without excuse. How powerful is creation? How powerful are the things that you see with your eye that he made? It's so powerful that Paul's message is you should know about the creator. His divineness. His eternal power. So much so that you should seek him. Nature doesn't communicate everything about God. But it com clearly communicates. Not just that there is a God. Because we often point to people who don't believe and say, well, explain to me the tree. Explain to me the sun. Explain to me the seasons. Explain to me the moon and the tides. But not only does it convince us of God, but it tells us something about God. It seems to me that God wanted you to see and look at creation and know some things about him. I have a couple quotes, not original with me, but I think they help us understand that there is a communication that happens. And we're going to see that in Psalm 19 in a second. But someone said, there is the gospel of the sea, there's the gospel of the sky, there's the gospel of the land. Someone said, nature is God's first missionary. And someone else Every day, every day that you wake up, nature is preaching 
you a sermon. In Psalm 19, a pretty familiar passage to many of you, we're going to read the first six verses. I want you to pay attention before we read to the how many uh, references to, we'll just say speech, uh, words that sort of are, are speaking words or how things are said, shall we say. Then we'll look at them. The heavens declare, that's an example, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no language or speech where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at the end of the heavens, at one end of the end of the heavens, and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. What do we know? Day after day, night after night, It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter where you are. The whole earth knows about God. The whole earth knows. There's a website I look at occasionally. It's called Astronomy Pick of the Day. You can get on there, it'll show you every day. On Friday, this was the picture. This is the elephant trunk, you see it? Elephant trunk nebula. Do you know what you know that David didn't know when he wrote Psalms 19? He didn't know anything about the elephant trunk nebula. We, because of our technology, because of our advanced state development over time, can look at the elephant trunk nebula. He had no concept of it, and he wrote the words that he wrote. Maybe we are even more so without excuse. This elephant trunk itself, its length, is 20 light years long. The nebula itself over 3,000 light years away. David had no concept. God, in his power and glory, created all that David saw and all that you and I can see. And why does that matter? Well, I'll tell you why. Remember our path? I need to know and believe, be convinced, trusting, and affirmed of the knowledge that I align myself with a being that can extinguish all darkness. I need big lights to remain faithful. I need to know that God is big enough to handle my problems or my concerns. 
I need to be affirmed when I walk outside. And I see and I hear with my senses what is created around me. That I am a follower of the one and only true God who has all dominion worthy of all worship. And my path becomes easier. Does it extinguish pain and hurt and darkness? No, not necessarily. But I think it was particularly sweet of God, don't you think? That he made himself so easily visible? We ask and we say sometimes with a little bit of a, well, someone says, how can you prove God exists? Can, well, can, well, you know, I, I don't have a burning bush for you. I can't, I, I can't go introduce to you to God and shake his hand and sit down and have a conversation. But is it not sweet that he's communicated to us what he's done and we see it? Every time we walk outside, outside our window and doors, God is made evident. Big lights in the heavens and the things that we see on earth. And the great thing is, you don't have to be in Yellowstone to see it. You can look up in the sky from College Station and Bryan. And you're afforded the evidence of the heavens, of his power and greatness and kindness. A couple of things we know from God's creation. One, he's everywhere. He says everyone can see. Every valley, every desert. Maybe you're a beach person. Maybe you're a mountain person. Every mountaintop, lowest point of Death Valley, God is everywhere. So, it seems sort of simple, but maybe we need to say it. There's no place you can be where he is not. Now, sometimes we use that as a warning. Oh, you better not go there or do that because God is everywhere, right? We use it as a, almost a, hey, I'm going to scare you into, hey, you remember, God's watching. He's there. But let's turn it around. There's no place you can be that God isn't there. And that's a good thing. There's plenty of times on our paths, no, that we'd like a little God company. And God is everywhere. The second thing is that his timing is perfect and precise. Now, God, the Bible tells us that. But creation tells you, no? The seasons, the rotation of the earth, the day and the moon and moving from one side as it goes across our sky to the other. God's timing is perfect. Sometimes we'll have things that we say are our top ten. You know, there was David Letterman in his top ten list. Some of you don't remember that. It's fine. 
What is your top 10? Hey, give me your top 10 so-and-so. Give me your top 10 so-and-so. What is that? What is your top 10? And so I was trying to think of a way that might help us. But before we get there, I want to ask you again, or ask you now. Can we see those heavenly bodies differently? And can we maybe go back and notice them again for the first time? What do they say about God's care and his love? What did they say about power and worthy of worship? What did they say to you who've aligned yourself and signed up to be a part of that creator's family? When you walk outside today, you'll have every opportunity to see. Maybe it's a tree. Maybe it's wildlife. It doesn't matter. He's created it all. And another sweet attribute of God is not... He's created something we love. We see. We're refreshed by it. Aren't we? It's because how sweet... God's nature is. He speaks to us everywhere. He convinces us by his creation that light and the father of the heavenly lights and the father of all that exist has dominion over all darkness and our pieces of darkness. So that on this path, We have some big lights. So that at the very end, we'll be found faithful. And I can use all the help I can get. So the ten words are pretty simple and you know them already. And they communicate God's bigness and greatness and hopefully a reminder to you so that when you see nature, the heavens above you, in the earth below you, you'll remember the powerful God we serve, that God always wins because God is light and light always overcomes darkness. Your 10 words are, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's your 10 words. And that's pretty sufficient to know whom we worship. And who is deserving of our worship. You pray with me, please. So, Father, we, because of Jesus, can approach your throne. We give you the praise and thanks with our words, as feeble as they may be. But let our hearts and minds also give you our praise, give you our praise because you are deserving. Because you're worthy. Open our eyes and our hearts and all of our senses to what is around us. And help it communicate and speak to us. So that we see your evidences all around. May that through the Holy Spirit compel us to remain on the path. In times of darkness, in times of joy, regardless. Help us recognize you as the creator whose perfect 
timing is always in place, who resides with us wherever we are. God of all peace, we ask for that peace. We thank you for your kindness, your sweetness, the provisions you've made for us, the way you bless us and favor us. Help our hearts be more thankful and help us be more worshipful as we walk in your creation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.